Hello, hello, it's Abigail Eliza here with a quick little spiel before today's episode. Um, the pod recently just got a Discord server, which is really exciting, which you can find in the episode description if you'd like to hang out with other folks who are very, very into the oh hellos and Narnia and generally anything comforting and queer and fantasy themed. We do also talk about the show there. <laughs> it's, it's a good time. And recently in the server, Jupiter, Sparrow, Rachel, and Nat all made some absolutely fantastic back again, back again themed playlists, which slap. So I wanted to give them a quick shout out. I've spent far too much time recently listening to them. So thank you all so much for your impeccable music taste. And on to today's episode. Back again, back again, episode 22. Soldier. I hate talking about kissing Cassius Rex. <laughs> I hate talking about kissing. I, I feel like I should have ended the last entry with that, but... But I didn't, so... Disclaimer. Not that it's helping my case, but I couldn't stop thinking about our... Kiss. Kisses? Kiss. Kissing. Maybe if I just say the word kiss enough times, it'll lose all meaning and I'll just stop sitting here flushed red because of the sheer amount of times I've said it. Kiss. 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 Good God, it's not helping. I think this is making it worse. Days. We continued like normal, like friends, largely like it had never happened. Mornings were spent sparring and afternoons preparing, preparing because we would ride out at the end of the week for another raid. This one, a full day's march away, my anxiety crept up. I woke up shaky, heart racing and eyes wet from nightmares where I died or Cassian did, or Cassian was killing people, faceless people, and then was trying to kiss me with blood all over his face. Rhea died, or Rhea killed, or I killed, and the thunk of the blade sliding in sounded just the way it had when I had gotten stabbed. It was... It was... It messed with my head. <laughs> Do you know when you dream about someone and you can't quite look them in the eye the next day. It was like that, but worse, and I... They're not good dreams to have. They're not good to remember, either. It was... The morning of the raid, Andrea handed me a list of words Cassian had sent the day before. We'd spent the evening practicing them. I'd begged her to stay up late with me, and she'd insisted I needed to rest until a concession was made. A middle ground where we lay down beside each other and sang songs she'd taught me until she fell asleep. So you can look over them while you're away. 
she explained as I folded the list into my pocket. Away. A gentle word. Her eyes told me she knew what my nights had been, and I was thankful she didn't say anything more. I thanked her for the words and presented her the shitty drawings I'd done the night before while she was asleep and I couldn't have us on the roof. Stick figures labeled with our names and a billion stars staining the sky. The best I could do at a gift. So you don't miss me while I'm gone, I joked before she crushed me into a hug. I squeezed her tight, burying my head in her shoulder. Thank you, I whispered. Kratnok. For everything. Be safe, she said. Promise me you'll be safe. Rhea, I can't. Promise me you'll come back. I made a promise I couldn't be certain I'd keep and squeezed her hand one last time before heading out. I met Cassian in the arena as he and his soldiers checked bags and weapons and horses and shouted at each other to be heard over the din of Rizane. I was wearing my armor and had my sword by my side, a small comfort, and as he saw me, he pulled from his pocket a small jar of golden paint. We don't fight today, I'd said. It's for luck, he replied. So I held still as he dragged it down my left cheek and across the right side of my forehead, two lines each, then copied it onto his. Just for a, a moment, I remembered the blood from my dreams smeared across his face in the same way. I shut down the thought before my heart rate kicked up. Kratanok, I said, as he sealed the jar back away. He brightened at my Rizane. Do you have the list I sent? He asked, and I nodded. They were all battle words, command words, except for one that was both not quite and very much so. The word for dead. Which, in Rizane, can just as easily mean lost. Pertus. The company was larger than last time, forty or fifty soldiers all in armor. Most would be on foot. We had time. The village was a day's walk away, and Cassian wanted us all to be well rested before the next morning's battle. He gave orders in his princeling voice, a sharp-edged, booming Rizane, as I stood to his side in my armor and paint, trying not to let my fear show. We rode out. Cassian and I were both mounted, along with the captain of the guard and a few battalion leaders Cassian drafted his legion from. Hildegard, the captain of the guard, rode beside us, Cassian in the middle, I on the left and her on the right. They were an older soldier, 
older than us, in many ways, which is not a very accomplished feat, but one that made our youth all the more stark. Hildegard was maybe in her late thirties, and had the body of a soldier, muscled and able and hours of experience that even Cassian didn't give off. They sat in their saddle like it was a throne, their tawny hands loose in the reins. Cassian talked with her and Rysayan as we made our way along, the two of them falling into old banter. They taught me to fight, he explained, and I was explaining that I've been teaching you in turn. He laughed as Hildegard said something else, voice gruff. She says that you would be better off learning from her. He switched back to Rysayan, a jab that began with, but I say, the rest lost in translation. The two of them snipped back and forth with each other, laughing. Elihida, I finally heard, and snapped back to the conversation. Hildegard stared at me, not unkindly, awaiting a response. She repeated herself at my blank stare. Slow, Rise, and I managed to pick apart. Something like, Your magic, Elihida? They waved a hand around. They want a demonstration, Cassian supplied, and I started. Oh. Oh, uh, okay. I fumbled with my grip on the reins so I could strike my hands together and murmured, Viennil, sending wind shaking through the tops of the trees, picking up the leaf rot from years past and sending it skittering around the feet of the soldiers. I pushed at it until my ears rang, the trees shaking as I tried to expand my focus beyond the small areas I had practiced. Hildegard nodded. Sated. Maybe it was impressed. <laughs> I couldn't say. Cassian grinned at me, though, and mouthed a thank you. I smiled back. It wasn't until the sun was beginning to fall that we stopped to set camp. The battalion was maybe an hour's walk away from our target, close enough to ensure the soldiers weren't exhausted come battled, far enough to give warning from scouts if the rebels found us and launched their own attack. I stood off to the side, awkwardly, as the soldiers assembled camp, setting up fires and tying up the horses and bringing out blankets and bedrolls. Tents, apparently, were something of a taboo for these short little trips. The why was explained much later. Why we sleep under the stars when we're on long journeys, but it wasn't by Cassian. I won't make you wait for that part of the story for the why, dear listeners. See, first, of course, it's lighter. No tents means less weight, and when you're marching on foot, that's important. Second, tents are a sign of permanence. If you're putting up tents, you're there for the long haul, for more than a simple passing through. If that's not your intention, it can be a bad omen. A jinx, I guess, is a better word. There's there's a word in Rysayan that's a combination of the two. Augerdon. It's like a warning that you're jinxing yourself. If you set up a permanent camp without the intention of permanence, 
You're daring fate to make it so you can't leave. Plus, as I was also told, the stars are always more brilliant while on an adventure. By the time the sky had gone fully dark, campfires roared and the crew had drug logs and rocks around to sit on, booming stories or hurling insults across the fires. Cassian and I sat by each other, surrounded by his soldier friends, all eating the bread and dried meat we'd brought along and not minding the shitty taste because the air smelled like adventure and promise and even though it was loud and still foreign, something I'd never done before, it was easy to see the allure. The camaraderie. When they started singing, starting at marching songs and tilting into ballads, they all laughed and made exaggerated notions of surprise as there came some I knew, learned from Cassian, learned from Bria, and I added my shitty voice to the mix. They all talked circles around me as the night wore on, the fast sniping of people who had grown up together. In the firelight and dark, Cassian was indistinguishable from the rest of them, no more prince than anyone sitting opposite. His voice had lost the king's lelt he kept around his parents, the court, the one he told me a tutor drilled into him after I joked about it. There was an ease to his shoulders you were hard-pressed to find in him at the castle. And from the way he sniped back, just as passionately as anyone else, they didn't see him a king. Aloof and separate, as much as a friend, someone who'd earned his place, someone who they'd follow not out of duty, but soul-deep loyalty. No one said much to me, or at least I didn't catch mention of my name among the mix. In passing, I joked to Cassian about this, something Stupid, I can't even remember what my comment had been, but his response, meant to be another joke, was delivered just a little bit ingenuinely all the same. They must just be scared of you, Vatakina Alehila, or worry that you will curse them. Vatakina Alehila meant to poke fun at my title, but there was still something so odd about it coming from his mouth. I was always Elias to him. And then, later, I heard Elahida again, but not from Cassian's mouth, from Another soldiers who sat across the fire. The words were fragmented, as they always were when I tried to follow along, but I could hear enough that sparked the insidious doubt back into my heart. The words were Elhida and Fekina and Aimim Ailms. Prophecy girl and orders and we, not you, can't talk to her, and they were tossed to Cassian. Just another joke among the many of the night. It was phrased like a question and said like a joke, but Cassian turned slightly red in the firelight as the soldier said it, 
He very deliberately did not look at me as he shot back a curt response and shoved half a roll into his mouth, the air suddenly growing thick and cold. I don't know if he was being deliberately difficult, but I didn't know any of the words in his response. But no matter how you phrased it, the meaning was the same. Why did you order us not to talk to the prophecy girl? Why are the orders to not talk to the El Hida? Was he that afraid of what I would learn in three conversations and drinking song? Was he afraid of the prerequisite it would set? And doubt comes in that something wasn't right with him with this whole thing and that doubt it doesn't leave Back Again, Back Again is written and produced by me, Abigail Eliza. If you'd like to hear more about the show, visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at Back Again Podcast, or on TikTok at Abigail Eliza Writes. Our outro music is Nightingales by Pierce Murphy from the album To Japan, and is licensed under an attribution license. The song was retrieved from freemusicarchive.org. Visit the description of this episode for full copyright information and a link to the page. Sound effect attribution, similarly, can be found in the episode description. If you've made it this far, thanks for sticking around. You are important in this world and have a role no one else can fill. You are loved. I hope you have a wonderful day.